This is Lives, and I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. My guest today is Robert Patterson. In his professional life, the executive director of the Kids Can Community Center, and in his social life, an avid movie location spotter. As the executive director of the nonprofit Kids Can Community Center in Omaha, Robert Patterson leads an organization driven to educate, engage, and inspire children through early childhood care and out-of-school experiences. Patterson is active with a number of community groups and initiatives, and his commitment to community has been recognized with numerous awards. Over a decade ago, Patterson launched a blog that has now become the website setjetter.com that records his passion as an avid set jetter, visiting the sights and scenes captured in movies, TV shows, and music videos. His favorite movie is Halloween, and his favorite musician is Madonna. Robert Patterson, welcome to Lives. Glad to be here. Good to see you. Tell me about, uh, well, it was a blog. Now it's the website. Tell me about setjetter.com. So the, the term set jetter is obviously a spin on jet setting. Um, and it's kind of one of those uh, urban dictionary terms that came about. And it's people that choose their vacations or uh, wherever they decide to travel to based on filming locations. And I just, I heard about that word. And I thought, oh, that's the perfect kind of, that, that's what I do. I mean, all, all my vacations are almost entirely planned about, you know, what movie location was shot there. Or if I happen to be going to a city, I was like, all right, I do a lot of like, what, what's all shot in Philadelphia? How much can I cram in uh, if I happen to be there? So, so that's kind of how the, the website came about. Um, and I was thinking, as I was driving, like, where did my love of this, uh, when, when did it happen? The, the kind of main point in time, I remember uh, my parents, my family, we went out to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And I'd been to L.A. once before, and I thought, this is my time to visit the Halloween houses and the Nightmare on Elm Street house. And it was my first time. And for me, that was sacred ground. You know, if you're a horror movie fan, you're there. And if you're there at night, I was like, yeah, I'm in Haddonfield, Illinois, even though this is literally 40 yards from Sunset Boulevard, you know, the busiest strip in West Hollywood. And somehow they made that look like the cozy Midwest. Um, so that's kind of what it did for me. And I'm like, I, I want to do this all the time. And that that's kind of where the love came about. But I also was thinking, I, I went to movie, other movie locations before when I was younger, I remember going to Niagara Falls and I'm like, Oh, this is where Superman two was filmed. And, um, even in Omaha or Lincoln, uh, terms of endearment. I remember going to class and walking by the filming locations. I kind of made note of it. I never took a picture in my life of of some of those spots. Now I wish I did because some of those spots are long gone and that's kind of one of the one of the down parts about this is like sometimes you miss it and the things that you really want to see they've been torn down or in the process or look nothing like it. It seems to me just from my count that looking at the website and it sounds like you've captured many more but on the website it looks like there are nearly 500 films mm -hmm. that you have visited the locations of something like nearly a hundred TV shows. What struck me is almost the entire catalog of Madonna <laughs> music videos. Close, close. This is a huge number. And so you must've been doing this with a great amount of diligence and for quite a long period of time. So when did you really become intentional about capturing these sites 
uh, to share them. It was around 2007. I think I my blog started a couple because I was like, that's when I'm, I was started going to LA with the intent of going to filming locations. And I was like, you know, I take a couple pictures um, and just it was neat to be there. And then as the kind of years went on and I thought, oh, I should put this in a blog of some sort. And so I did that. And as I kind of got more kind of mature with it, I was like, I need to get the exact angles. And then not only the exact angles, every angle. And so if I really love a film and if you've been on my website, you know, one, one scene might, you have like 10 different angles and I am out there trying to get every <laughs> last bit Cause I, I want to match it up. And part of it is for my sake, but part of it is for fans that aren't able to visit these locations or just curious to kind of see what uh, they look like. So, so it was around that time. I really kind of, I be, wanted to become the master of it. I'm wondering if it might be important just to give a sense of the timing of your childhood. Do you mind me asking how old you are? I am 52 right now. Okay, thank you. So you were growing up in the 70s then and the 80s. What was your childhood like? And I'm especially curious about the role that movies and TV played in your childhood. But what was your childhood like? Yeah, so I was born in 1970. And and I think, and I was actually on another podcast that were they're really kind of dwell, to dwell into the 80s. And I remember I just did a quick check out of all those films. I think I have like 180, 1980 films alone. So obviously to me, that is the golden time of movies. But, you know, I was seven when Star Wars came out. So it was like the perfect time. I was 11 when Raiders of the Lost came, you know, came out. And so like all these kind of pivotal films that to me still held up over these years, all these years. Um, I think that's kind of what set the love of cinema for me. So my family loved movies and I remember... Uh, they would also take me to movies that were beyond my age range. I mean, I remember going to Ragtime and uh, Reds with Warren Beatty. Well, you know, not a 11-year-old movie <laughs> by any means, but I think they kind of, it kind of matured me in a way to kind of understand uh, film. And I think uh, I was scared to death of horror movies. I didn't want to even see the word Halloween uh, but eventually I became to love him. And so not until I was a teenager. So I felt like I was a little behind on being too much of a scaredy cat. But once I did like horror movies, I just jumped into the deep end of the pool. So I remember I snuck in to uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, uh, 1984, and scared me to death. And I just remember the, the first half hour, I think I, my eyes were just covered. I was just looking at the bottom of the screen because I thought that's the the safe zone. But I left that movie and I thought, you know what, if... Flashes of light and images and sounds can have that much of an effect on me. That's kind of when I realized the power of movies. And granted, it was just a horror movie, but it's like there, there's a power here. And for, for better, for worse, um, that, that to me, I look at that as a, a big turning point for the love of film. So by the time you had this epiphany you just described, when you realized you were vacationing with your family at locations that you could now associate with films, you had built up perhaps a, a greater than average movie database, as it were, in, in your head. You've been watching a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. I, I think, you know, when you were kids, we had the VHS tapes and we would just like put on Halloween, Halloween 2 and 3, I think. It just it was on repeat and we'd, you know, play cards and have summer. And, and, and so it was like that movie's just been ingrained into my mind. Um, but that's what we had back then. We had that and cable and, and laser discs and, and we, we watched the same things over and over again. So I know sometimes you think, oh, kids are <laughs> glued to their screens and do, doing the same thing. I'm like, we kind of did it back then, but, uh, we just had, we 
had much worse copies to look at. I want to ask this question just to, as it were, get it out of the way. I'm wondering if you look back on your life then and think, why, why wasn't I actually spending more time doing other kid things like, you know, I don't know, whatever that is, but, you know, riding your bike around the neighborhood, getting up to mischief, being outside, um, doing any other kinds of things that kids do, not least because your role now is executive director of a child-focused organization. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't look back and felt like I missed out on anything, um, but I also I wasn't attracted to those other things. And uh, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, we, we did make our own films. I had my Super 8 camera, and we made, at the time, Friday the 13th, Part 5. Because if you remember, Part 4 was supposed to be the final chapter. And, like, they're never I – was, I was dumb enough to say, they're never going to make any more. Uh, obviously, they're well past that. Um, but I have – and I still – I will not show it to anybody. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I was – you know, at, I was 15 at the time. I was editing film. And at, at back then, you were actually you had your razor blade and you were slicing the film and taping them together. And um, so uh, right before – camcorders and VHS kind of became a, became a thing and make it made it much easier. So, so obviously my love of it started kind of percolating, uh, in, in that way. Um, and then, uh, in between, uh, graduating high school and going to college, I took a week long workshop out at UCLA and I can't remember the name of it, but it was, it was kind of a magic time, you know, when you find your tribe, and it was all these people that were exactly like me. And we all kind of share like, oh, we made these stupid movies when we were younger. And we were all kind of did the same thing. Um, but it was kind of a, not, not a filmmaking camp, but we we got to preview new shows. And I remember we, we got to see um, the new John Lennon Imagine documentary kind of at Warner Brothers. You know, nobody was allowed on the Warner Brothers lot or that wasn't a public lot at the time. And uh, we got to talk to directors like Penelope Spheris and um, just kind of do all these kind of great things. And I thought, part of me is like, this is what I should be doing. But also I was like, I also <laughs> Midwestern at heart and we're like, Oh, we need, I need to be practical. And, and the practical version of, of this is broadcast journalism. And so that was my undergrad degree and what I was supposed to do, not what I'm doing now, but I think that education served me well. Do you ever look back looking at the different forks in the road and think, Oh, I missed being filmmaker, a director, an actor, or someone else involved in the business of film? Absolutely. I, I, I look at there. I think it's definitely made for the young uh, because it is really a gig community. Even if you're at your best, you are moving from gig to gig, even if you're on the top of the films. And so you never quite know where your next paycheck is going to come from. And you'll be lucky if you get a TV series or something that's kind of perpetual. But even then, um, you move on. There's no, there's no healthcare benefits. There's all these things. And so as an adult now, I'm like, Oh, what a nightmare. That, that was too much of a risk for me. But yeah, I think we all look back. I'm like, you know what? I was, when you're young and you have the energy, you should, I should have just taken a few more risks, but who, who knows how that actually could have ended up. As it is, you, you have this profound pleasure from doing set jetting. Mm. And so I'm sure that wouldn't have been the pleasure it is if you had actually been doing this gig work in the business. Yeah, if that if this was if my job was that, I think movies might not have been as much fun anymore, and I would hate to take that away. Um, but you're absolutely right. I I I'm a big believer of serendipity, and um, the past takes us to where we're supposed to be. And I really can't complain about my life and and the world I live in. And um and uh, I don't want I don't want to call it notoriety, but people 
people stop me on the street, you know, like I'm traveling and people are like, are you the set jetter? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, Oh, you know, I follow you around. And, um, this is, I made my vacation out of this. And, um, especially a lot of people from, uh, foreign countries contact me and I set them up. They I just tell me where you want to go and I'll make a Google map for you of all your favorite locations. So. So you talked about you are now more intentional about your vacations and cities you're visiting for any number of reasons. Mm-hmm. How do you go about the process of selecting either a movie or a location that you want to capture and document? Uh, Part of it is, you know, if a movie kind of captures my love, um, I definitely want to kind of feel it out and kind of get all those locations. Um, If I'm watching something and, and there's the, even though I could look at the 80s as kind of the classic movies time, I think we're going to look back at right now as kind of the classic TV series time. And I'm not really talking about network TV, but we have such great extended long series of, of a lot of streaming options of, and, and I think that's kind of where it's almost better than the movies right now, the, the, the quality. It's also a little bit of a curse because I'll be watching a great show and I'm like, pause it. And I'm like, I, I need to find this apartment building. I'll, I won't watch it all the way through. And I need to stop myself and say, no, just watch the whole episode, Robert. And then go back and try to find, you know, I was watching Westworld last night and I was like trying not to stop it because I'm like, I need to find that spot um, if, if only for my own sake. But yeah, so that that's kind of the way it's changed a little bit for me over the years. I mean, maybe it's chicken and egg. What What comes first? Is it the location that you happen to be going to or is it the film or the TV series that, that you want to capture i think it's the film or the tv series and i think it's like it all begins with a script i mean that's the it all it's the story and if the story gets you um and i love my share of bad movies too i mean if if you've been to my website i i i love them all you know and and a lot of my requests are for you know can you find the house from my boyfriend from hell never saw it before i'm like well i'll go down that path i usually get those like at 11 30 at night and i go down that rabbit hole whether i like to or not but uh, yeah, it has to mean something for me. If not, I was like, uh, it, I kind of do it passively. It's not It's not as fun if you don't love it. There must be a huge amount of research that goes into this. I, I, I doubt that you just fly into a place, rent a car, and then hope to find the locations. How, how do you go about that research? It's I used to have, and I can't remember what I used to call the percentages, but like when I talk about sedge editing, I was like 80% of it is on your computer. <laughs> And going through Google Maps and and looking for clues of either behind the scenes shot or, you know, I see a railroad track here or I see this building in the background and I think that might be Pasadena and just kind of backtracking it. So it's a lot of these clues just to find the right spot, especially if it's it's not a known spot. You know, the Back to the Future movies and those have all been locationed to death. You know, everybody kind of knows where they're at and it's published. And I really like to dwell on the ones that haven't been found or it's brand new. And then I say the other big percentage is driving around. So uh, driving around LA and then uh, the smallest percentage is actually when you're at the spot and, you know, you take your pictures, you're there a few minutes. I'm like, all right, I got, I got what I need and I move on. And, and I'm one of those that I, I'm, as I grow older, um, I don't spend the entire day, but I used to go from sunrise to sunset, uh, trying to capture every, squeeze in everything that I could to uh, make the most of the day. My stamina has not <laughs> uh, maintained that over the years. Is there a particular film, particular TV series that for some reason stands out to you in terms of uh, 
uh, locations that you've managed to capture? There's a couple that have probably been the most meaningful me to, to me because they've been so rare and unique opportunity to get to. And, and for the most part, I should say I'm, I'm doing exterior locations and I don't get too much going into the houses and cause obviously that's a whole other thing. Um, but I've had a couple of experiences. One, when I go back to Friday the 13th, the final chapter, um, all takes place at this cabin and, um, an elderly couple owned it for decades. And, um, and every once in a while I'd email, you know, say, Hey, can I, and just no response. And one time I emailed and there was a new owner and she goes, she emailed back. She says, yeah, what, what time's your flight land? I'm like 10. She goes, well, just come over after that. And I'm like, all right. And so, um, and I wasn't quite sure what to expect because it, it's private property and everything as well. It's kind of tucked away. And, uh, I drove in, I drove around the back and, um, it kind of reminded me of the first time I saw the Halloween house It's almost kind of the silence, you know, that I was like, I cannot believe this movie I grew up with. I'm just standing in the middle of it. And she came home and, and, and she says, well, take pictures. Of the outside over here is where they built the cabin. So I kind of did exterior shots. I'm like, I wonder if she's going to let me inside. And I said, is it okay if I take pictures inside? She goes, sure. Just take off your shoes and just whatever you want. So I photographed every inch of that house and, um, upstairs and down into the the basement just everywhere they shot and it was when i talk about sacred ground that that was it for me and it was a fantastic day and i left i was driving i was doing other locations and i'm like oh i did not every once in a while i like to get pictures of me at the location too it's kind of you know proof and that i was there and i emailed her that night and i'm like i hate to do this and i if i understand can i come back <laughs> in a couple of days and bring a friend to take pictures with me. And she said, sure, go ahead and do that. And so, um, super nice. She's not let another fan in there since. So I don't blame me because I was, I treated her very politely. I sent her an Amazon gift card. I even brought her a DVD of the movie cause she'd never seen it. Um, but sometimes fans, sometimes fans have kind of ruined locations and, and you've heard, may have heard about like the Goonies house at one point the owners got sick of fans kind of trespassing and they put up blue tarps to kind of cover it up and kind of ruin the shot. Um, I think they, they've gone back and kind of made it better for fans again since that time or the breaking bad house. People, I think were throwing pizzas on the roof and eventually they put up fence and they kind of yell at people that come. So you, you gotta be polite, you know, and you gotta respect uh, not only kind of legally what you can and can't do, but just be nice to the owners. You mentioned the word sacred. And I know you don't explicitly mean something divine, but you do mean something meaningful mm. to you. So what is that characteristic that renders a site, a location, an experience, something more than just visiting you know, a home or a spot? Yeah, it is. And you're absolutely right. So that when I thought I was like, I kind of touched my heart. I'm like, it means something inside that this movie um, even though it's a horror movie, this movie meant something to me or was just part of my childhood or part of a great time in my life. Um, and and there's times like really I feel like I've pinched myself and like I cannot believe this is it. And I how, how lucky am I uh, to be able to do this? I, Halloween H2O came out in 98 and, and I was like, as a Halloween fan, I was like, Jamie Lee was coming back. This is the best it could, could ever get. And uh, I got to spend the night at it's called the Paramore Estate, and uh, you can rent cottages and, and stuff like that on the state. And so, I I booked it, and because they had not let that's not open to the public either, and and they had just opened it up so people could spend the night there. And I was like so excited. So, and they said, oh, you get the corner cottage, 
And it was about a, a week before I was looking up where this corner cottage was. And I was like, oh, this is Jamie Lee Curtis's house in the movie. So I was going to be staying where she was supposedly be living. The great part of it was that there's nobody else staying on the entire estate that time for those two days. So it was just me and some staff and uh, same thing. I, I just lived in the moment and I felt like I was living the movie as, as much as I could. And, and that's as close as you can get. You suggested with what you were describing that sometimes fans and fan culture can ruin the environment capturing the set, visiting the set, uh, the experience of people that actually have to live there and have their lives mm. at these places. Set jetting has been you know, a feature of modern life probably ever since the films have been made. But I, I wonder if you have a sense of what, what is the history of you know, people doing what you do? I, I'm sure people had always visited. And, and there's, I'm certainly not the first, and there's people well before me. And at that time, it was much harder to... <laughs> Before Google Maps and Street View, it was hard to do. And you were just, you were driving around trying to find the spot because you weren't able to, to scour Street Views and, and see all that. So that's one of the benefits of the past, especially decade plus, to be able to have that advantage. Um, but yeah, and so I, I look at peop, uh, older pictures, and sometimes it's the studios themselves that uh, the back lots, uh, which the movie studios, not, nothing is sacred to them. And so they put up houses, take down, and and they really don't care that much about the history because it's always on to the next thing. And one of the examples of that is the Warner Brothers Ranch. So there's Warner Brothers Studios and the Ranch, which is also in Burbank. But at the Ranch is where the, the Christmas Vacation House is and the Lethal Weapon House and the Bewitched House and the Friends Fountain was. Uh, they're tearing all of that down. I mean, it's been there for decades and decades and decades. Um, I think it used to be the Columbia lot well before Warner Brothers took it over uh, to build bigger studios and fans are up in arms because like you're it, even if they somehow miraculously move the houses, which I don't think they will do because these things aren't made to last anything in Hollywood is temporary. Um, and they've been built and rebuilt over the years, but that that's just not the way Hollywood works. You know, it done with the movie, move on. A lot of it just goes in the trash and, and they're, they're on to the next thing. So, so Sometimes I'm not quite sure they realized how important some of these pieces are to the fans. What are the furthest, strangest lengths you've gone to to um, <laughs> to, to get to the get to the location? Oh, there's. <laughs> I, I'm remembering a time, um, and I've since been to this location. I wanted to see the barn from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, and also not open to the public. And there's a security guard at the gate, and you, you couldn't there. But I found there's kind of a, a back back way. And it's really was almost a cow path because I had a little, I was with my kind of wingman at the time. And, and I think the car was called a spark or something. It was like a tiny, tiny car. And so we were going through the hills, whatever, and we and kept chugging along. And as we kept going, we're like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but there was really this, this road was small enough. We couldn't even turn around. Um, and so we kind of got to the part where like the car was almost stuck. And I was like, we can't go forward and, and we need to figure out what to do. And luckily my friend is like, a lot bigger than me. And luckily the car was so tiny that he was actually able to lift it and pivot it around so we could turn around. So th those are the times where I felt like, oh, I might've gone a little bit too far. Um, and sometimes if you, if I have like a wingman with me or somebody else, sometimes they kind of goad you on to do that. He he was one of those guys. He he used to live in LA. So he's just me. And he used to just, he loved being the wingman and, and going with me. And I remember we were going to Burt Reynolds house from Boogie Nights. 
And if you remember, a lot of the action takes place in the pool in the backyard. And I was like, I really want to see that pool. And he's like, well, just pull up to the driveway. And, and you know, we, we pull in and older gentleman watering his plants. And it's like, it's, you know, I, I kind of pull my, I don't know if it's my Midwestern charm or what, but I was like, is it okay if I take pictures of your pool? And he's like, sure. Just come on, walk through the house. And I hear him talking to his wife. He's like, who's here? And like some guy that wants to take the picture, you know. And, and I'm just taking pictures because they shot inside the house. And it was just all these iconic scenes. And that happens quite a bit. And I don't know about you. I mean, we don't even answer our door at home, let alone let strangers with a camera uh, in. But th- that has happened quite often where I'm at some place and I, I said, no, I'll just try my luck. And, and they let me in and usually are super nice. It doesn't sound like you do international stuff. Uh, Canada, for sure. So we didn't, we didn't talk about, yeah. So Vancouver is my only second to LA because Vancouver has in their TMZ of 30 mile zone, uh, water mountains, urban, you know, like rural, yeah, everything, you know, and I think that's why a lot of filmmakers gravitate to, uh, to there, but, uh, it's, and they're just, they're a lot nicer <laughs> than the jaded Californians sometimes, but, um, and they're kind of excited to, to have you there and they have a little bit different, you know, usually if you're near an, a live set in LA, they won't even let you near it. And, and Cali- and Toronto or ca- anywhere in Canada, they're usually like, there's nothing we can do about it. If, you know, if you want to walk through the set, this is, if they're not filming, you, you do what you have to do. And they're like, Oh, this is, this is nice. Refreshing. I know you've captured some of these. Uh, I've seen some of these on your website. But just because the way films and TV shows are shot, they typically have a man-made structure of some sort. But there are other films that sort of come to mind where it's the natural world that is the compelling feature of the of the shot. Like a recent film, for example, would be Dune. And you, you need those vast sandscapes to make that film work. Do you also sort of seek out those sort of natural world shots too? Yeah, not just the house. Yeah, kind of yeah, where it is. And uh, yeah, trying to think of something that comes to mind. But yeah, obviously, uh, and usually that requires a little bit more of a hike <laughs> and <laughs> and not as easy to match up because, you know, you're looking at trees and you know, like what tree is still here and what, what mountain is in the background. And um, so it's not always kind of quite as obvious. I'm thinking of the movie Explorers. I don't know if you remember that from the 80s where, um, yeah, so they're up on this hill and, and I was like, I remember I was up in this field and I'm like, where, what can I still use as kind of a recognizable uh, piece? So I kind of kind of match this up and not mess it up either. You mentioned this earlier. You don't just take the iconic shot. An example would be um, Die Hard and the Nakatomi building. Um, but it's been photographed many, many times and is well known as the location. But you recreate scenes and not just one angle, but many, many angles. And one of my um, favorite films is Footloose. Mm. And you've captured an entire arc of the film through the locations that that you went and found and you track them with the journey of the, the movie on your website. What is the urge to, to get to those lengths of capturing all aspects of a mm-hmm. film's location. Yeah. And you, and if you've been to my website, you can tell, like, if I love a movie, I, I go for it all. And Footloose was one of those. I was 14 at the time and it, it meant a lot to me. So 
um, and going out to Utah, um, it, it was a joy because it was interesting to kind of see what sometimes things don't change at all. And some things, if you remember the, the mill from that movie, it looks like it's in the middle of nowhere. Now it's surrounded by McDonald's and like just all this industry is around it. And so the specialness is gone, but fans also like, Hey, look what it's kind of, when you see the pyramids and their proximity, um, same type of thing. It was like, look what's built up all around it. But thankfully that is still there. But, um, but yeah, so I bring all my different shots to the location and it becomes, uh, it's a labor of love, uh, to find, all right, you know, and I'm doing hundreds of locations a day. So it's not like it's all at the tip of my tongue of like what I remember to get. And so I'm looking, I'm like, and once you get there, like, is it this way or is it that way or where were they at? And it's kind of trying to, to recreate it. But, uh, that, that's the fun of it too. It's, it's the chase that I love and, and finding those unique spots or how did they, what angle were they? They filming at now i haven't gotten to you know drones or <laughs> trying to get the uh the crane shots but um I'll, I'll leave that to other people to do that clearly this is deeply fulfilling for you but i want to ask why these are clearly homages to films, TV shows, but you yourself said some of them are kind of B-list, mm -hmm. uh, you know, B-list movies, which is totally fine. But clearly this occupies an, sort of an A-list status occupation for you. So what might seem to be an obsession is clearly a very purposeful part of your life. And I, I just want to explore why, why is that? that? That's a good question. I think I've asked myself sometimes when it's like late at night, I'm like, why am I doing 30 different angles of this scene just because they happen to show up in the movie where most people will say like, yeah, that's the house. You know, I don't need to see one more shot of that. But, um, and so sometimes I've just, just for my own, uh, mental health saying, you don't need to do every, <laughs> every angle, but it is probably more important for me to find every, every spot. And I think, uh, one of those examples is the new Halloween, the Halloween 2018 version um, I went down to Charleston and I literally, even if it was a shot that was in there two seconds shot somewhere weird, I wanted to find it because that, that movie kind of meant a lot to me and it means a lot to fans. And I know that a lot of these fans end up using my website, that this is their map for when they go traveling. And uh, some of the franchise movies actually have Google maps for the entire franchise. So people can just go there and, and find out where they need to go. And, and I bumped into people I remember uh, one time I was at the uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's house from the original Halloween. And when you talk about nice owners, she is the nicest owner. She puts out Halloween candy for people. She has a fake pumpkin so people can recreate the shot. Um, so she is super accommodating to fans and um, her name's Bianca. And, and so I've interacted with her for years and I always bring her Halloween treats. But I remember I was chatting with her on the porch one day and uh, one of the guys, I saw a fan going around. He, he's like, Oh, can you, you you get that weird like hey can you take my picture I'd be happy to and he's like he's like he's like I think I'm using your website right now and so it was just kind of this weird this kind of weird time for me or kind of when I call it notoriety or I've been on locations and uh, with another friend from LA and and people are walking strangers walking by I'm like are you Robert and like yeah and I'm and my friend's like who are you what <laughs> what are you doing out there but like I said it's all for the fans that. Partially for me, but I also know the appreciation is coming from the fans. 
Is there a danger for you being someone who has so enjoyed being a fan that your own growing fame, I don't know, would just get in the way? So instead of being the fan, you become the celebrity. Does that get in the way of this being a passion for you? Uh, no, I don't think. If, if anything, it would help because I just I enjoy doing it. And during every five years at the the milestones for Halloween, uh, the last one was the 40th anniversary, they have conventions. So they bring all the actors. And um, and I was one of the bus tour guides that uh, gave the kind of a location all the tours. And I, I think that's why people, when I give that Halloween bus tour, people liked it because there'll be long spots in between. And I just, I knew where we, you know, I was going. I was like, if you're a fan of the film society, you know, the mansion is coming up on the right. And I was just kind of looking ahead to kind of different spots. And pe I think people got excited on my bus because it kind of got all those little extras that come with it. But, uh, but yeah, and that's where, and it, like I said, it seems to be a lot of like this uh, German TV anchor emailed me a couple of weeks ago who's coming to the U.S. I think he's here right in L.A. right now that needed help kind of whatever inside. Those those things it, it excites me because people are, are so and I'm a little probably a little I'm jaded I've been to the Halloween houses so many times now that it might have lost the specialness but they are so excited to to see some of these places for the first time so meaningful then to me it's it's always giving back and there'll be people there's there's people that are much more popular than than I am uh, around there kind of doing this but um, what means more to me is kind of the integrity of my work that, um, and I really kind of do every, I say I do everything from terms of endearment to Texas Chainsaw Massacre that, and everything in between that it's not just horror movies, even though it's quite a bit, if you've been to my website, but when you're talking about Footloose, uh, that was kind of an add on because I was going there to do locations for Halloween four and five and the stand and silent night, deadly night. And Footloose, you know, it's just kind of these random, but they all, they all work, they all sew together for me. How is this community then showing up in your uh, interaction? So you have this website, you have people reaching out to you, contacting you for advice, to map itineraries for them. You're clearly engaging in a growing space for dialogue with a community of people that mm -hmm. love this. And I'm curious... What is that community like? And is there anything that sort of stands out to you from your conversations with people? Yeah, and for the most part, there, there's more and more. And, and most of it is now we see them out, each other on Instagram. And, 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 and there's competitive nature for sure. They're like, oh, they, when they found this. And I remember uh, uh, Jordan Peele's Us. And I could not find the house. And I knew it was in the Pasadena area. And I looked and looked and, and nobody can find it. And then somebody else found it. And I was like, one, glad it was found. Two, ugh, I wish I was the one to be able to say, I found this. Because it's kind of a little feather in your cap to be able to kind of say, I'm the first to find this. But uh, for the most part, we all play well in the sand together and and get excited about sharing. And and um, my, my friend has nerd locations, and he'll just send me random pictures of like, where's the? can you find this? And And we send them to each other and try to do what we can to kind of help each other out. And his, his, he really goes into the, the rock stars and the rock videos and stuff like that, which is not my thing. And, and so there's, there's no competition there, but I enjoy helping him out and saying, you know, Oh, this is off Hollywood Boulevard and such and such uh, to be able to find, to find those spots. Does a movie industry play the game with your community? Meaning I think, was it the last season of game of Thrones? They sort of set it up with, 
hidden elements of the show located around the world. But the idea was to try and find those locations and claim what was there to prove that you'd solved the riddle and found these locations. So I'm wondering the degree to which producers, marketers are inviting the set Jetta community to play along with them in this game of finding the location. Not so much. I think they actually, it's almost the opposite where everybody signs uh, NDEs. And so nobody can tell you, you know, I, I might nobody, somebody on the production. I'm like, where's this? Hell? And they're like, I'm just, I'm sorry. I cannot tell you. And I was like, like, just give, give me a hint, you know? And, I, and every once in a while they do. However, I've befriended a few film uh, location scouts or location managers. And I mean, that is their job. And I, um, I don't remember raising hope the Martha Plimpton TV series and with Cloris Leachman. And uh, I could not find this one particular location and you see the the credits and I'm like, I'll just email him. And he's like, Oh, it's, it's right over here in Chatsworth. And I said, great. And we kind of talked, emailed back and forth. And he said, if you're ever in LA and want to visit the set, just let me know. I'm like, oh, all right. And a couple months later, and he's like, well, what time do you want to come? I'm like, you, you tell me, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> this is, this is your world. Uh, that I'm intruding on. And he said, we'll just come up around 10 o'clock. And, and so I think we, we came kind of late morning and um, they, they were on break and we were just taking pieces. Like, you can take pictures, just no flash around the, the, the set. Um, and then they kind of got back to filming. And so literally they're filming in the living room and we're s- sitting in the kitchen watching them film this TV series. And um, if you've been to any actual filming location while they're working, it is, boring as can be it it's a hurry up and wait and you're waiting for that one percent of excitement that actually but otherwise it's set in lights and and people milling around and trying to get everything done um but that was you know on a break from filming you know cloris leachman was sitting there you know reading magazines and so i mean what opportunity except for that for me to go talk and get a picture with her um happened because of that um, but yeah, so he, he invited me to the set a couple of times so I can be there where the action was happening. Um, and there's been a couple, uh, filming location people that have since retired that they still have all their stuff. And I'm like, uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. I'm like, I can't find this bridge where they shot such and such. And he's like, Oh, I still have all that. And he just scans it to me. And I was like, this is, this is gold, you know, to, you know, like rather than me trying to search all these different things and find impossible places, he's like, oh, here's the address. I'm like, exactly what I need. I don't know if that's considered cheating, but if it comes from, comes from the top, then I don't think that's cheating. Is place more important than people? Do you see, you mentioned meeting some actors and um, I did make a note of others that you can see on your website. And I'm sure there's, I mean, I know there's many but one of my favorites is Alan Rickman because he's since passed. But of course, he was Hans Gruber in Die Hard, and then, which is one of the films you capture. But then, obviously, so many other things. Um, I love that you have a selfie with Lisa and Louise Burns, who are the Grady daughters in the Stephen uh, King horror loved, film The Shining. Love The Shining. And then um, you met Marley Renfro, who was Janet Lee's body double for the a lot of the shower scene in Psycho. Um, and then. I love the photo of you and a very young, uh, you very young, uh, you meeting Daryl Hannah, who was Pris in the original Blade Runner. So this is just a, you know, a few of the people that can be seen on your website. But it makes me wonder, why is place more important than the people? 
Um, and it might be a little bit, it, it kind of depends. It might be about equal, but um, I, I've been fortunate between going to Sundance Film Festival for a number of years and literally bumping into these people. There, Hannah was, it was a snowy day and she was all bundled up and we were going one way and she was going the other and not paying too much attention. Um, but right as she passed, she was talking and we're like, well, that, that's Daryl Hannah. I mean, you can hear her speak and, and it's like, should we go back and get a picture? And she was super sweet. And um, I, will, I will say out of everybody, 99% of the people are down to earth as kind as can be. A um, couple of people kind of, no, I would say ruin it for you, but it was like, oh, it'd be better if I, you don't meet your, all your idols. <laughs> um, but it, it's a little bit of both. And I combined both on my page because at the very end of all the locations I've, I've met the cast, I put pictures of, of them as well. Um, and a lot of them, I share my website with them and they get excited that a lot of times they might've been two days on that location and the, they sometimes struggle. And some of the questions that you're asking are like, why is this so meaningful? You know, this random horror film from the eighties that, why are you coming to these conventions? Why are all these people coming, you know, to meet me for this little bit part that I barely remember doing. Um, but it goes back, you know, it's meaningful to them. And I just enjoy talking to them about it. And sometimes they actually are helpful to, to find a location. There was a not so good spoof called Saturday the 14th. Um, I don't know if you remember that with, uh, but uh, one, of, one of the actresses in there, I was like, I can't find this house. I met her at, at the Hollywood show. And, and she's like, you know what? I think it's right outside of USC. And I'm like, that's all I need. And I, I think I went back to the hotel that night and I found it. And so as I, saw her again a few weeks ago and I said, thank you because you helped me find <laughs> this missing location. But sometimes actors are really the least amount of help because they're driven to the set. They're in their own zone. And, and they really was like, I have no idea where I was at. Shit, it could be Pasadena. It could be Hollywood. I don't know. I don't know if this is the right character, but I'm with the right person to correct me. Uh, Walter Mitty. And Walter Mitty is a character um, sort of lived as it were in a, in a fantasy world of his imagination. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you find yourself looking at the world around you, not through the lens of the encounters you're having with the world, but perpetually exploring the world around you for scenes, locations, or rummaging through your memory database of, of movies and TV shows for where this might be uh, the location of. Uh, you're probably right. The first thing I thought of as you were talking, I was like, you know what? Half of the things that come out of my mouth are a movie quote, whether I'm citing it or not. And my sister gets it and my friends get it. Like, And every once in a while, like, why do I keep saying this thing? And you see that movie. I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm quoting this movie without even kind of realizing it. So yeah, there's probably a little bit of it. when I talk about living in the movies, um, as you're talking about kind of the MIDI character, I'm like, yeah, we, part of the reason to go to these places, especially the films that you love is that you're, you're stepping into the movies the best that you can. And, and if, if you're with your friend, you you nerd out and you recreate <laughs> some of those those aspects. I, tonight or today is the anniversary for prom night from 1980, and and one of my friends uh, happened to be in Toronto at the same time, and we were <laughs> taking turns of like you be Jamie Lee Curtis laying here and you know rec recreating these scenes, and so yeah, so there's a little bit of I think that fantasy uh, that you kind of do live in it, but. Uh, and I think I, I'm going to pair misquote scream here, but life is a movie and we're just, we're all living in it. 
I think that's so interesting because as you're sharing that with me, I'm thinking about the difference between escapism and imagination. Many of us enjoy watching movies because it takes us away from something. But I also think that they conjure vast depths and breadths of our imaginative capacities that really enables us to be creatively flourishing. I'm wondering if part of the joy and the fulfillment you get from being a set jetter and part of the pleasure that others get from from that is in finding these locations as perhaps banal and plain and prosaic as they may be in the moment in real life. They conjure something that is the wonder that the, the movie manifested. And I'm wondering this out loud and just wondering if that feels familiar or accurate to you. I think so, because it is, movies are definitely an escape. And I think if you looking at the past two and a half years, what if we did not have the entertainment industry to keep people uh, as mentally healthy as they could, as they were stowed away that what, what if we weren't all, we don't all have all this Netflix or whatever, because otherwise people were going um, a little batty in their houses and needed, needed that release. And I think, uh, Entertainment was kind of one of those unsung heroes for everybody to kind of get that uh, through here. Some better than others. I know it was, was it the Tiger King? I never even watched it, but whatever it takes to <laughs> for, you, for you to kind of get through the day. Or I don't know about you, at the end of the day, I would go home and my, my day at Kids Can and dealing with the pandemic and what do we do next, I would go home and watch The Naked Gun because I was like, I needed something completely different and light and laugh at and 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 that's kind of what we needed at the time so but yeah so i i believe um definitely believe in that and as a horror movie person and and if you grew up in the i mean the 80s you remember there was a lot of anti like it's creating you know more violent and i guess that that still is kind of coming about but i really and i'm sure my parents were kind of worried at one point like i guess two into horror movies but i saw it as a a release of like this this is the roller coaster ride of, uh, for the most part, you know, it's a scary, but you're going to be safe at the end of the day. To me, that's what the horror movies were, is that it was an hour and a half of this. It was scary, whatever. I could put myself uh, in a scary situation, but knew that on the other end, I would be safe as soon as the movie ended. Just sticking with the theme of horror then, you did mention what we've all endured the last couple of years with the pandemic, which for many of us meant isolating, lockdown, uh, which I would imagine put a little bit of a uh, hurdle in front of your set jetting. Um, how, how did you cope with the pandemic and, and through the pandemic? Uh, it actually was my benefit, and I'm laughing because I think in February I, I rented Contagion, uh, which I had seen a, a couple of years prior or whatever, and I was, and maybe this is my education. I was like, oh, to deal with this pandemic, I just need to watch a movie about it. But if you watch that now, every single beat, actually happened. And as wild as that movie seemed when it first came out of like, that will never happen, you know, empty streets, that all, all of that happened. And they were using even some of the same terminology that I thought was kind of new, but it wasn't, you know, it was, uh, so kudos to, to that entire creative team for, for figuring all that out. So, but yeah, so my travel stopped, you know, in like everybody's did in early 2020. And it actually was a benefit because uh, I had no evening events. I'd go to work and come home and there was kind of like my time was free. And I was like, you know what? I have a backlog of 
250 plus movies that I need to put on my website that seemed too daunting to do in the regular uh, non-pandemic world. And I was like, you know, I have time to do this. And so I just started chipping away and chipping away. And uh, there's still a large number out there, but it actually worked out that I was like, otherwise I, I probably would just kept this backlog of visiting locations and never putting a, uh, on a website or giving people addresses or, or anything like that. So it actually kind of worked out for me. I did want to ask you about Madonna, but um, I mean, why Madonna? You know, <laughs> I, well, I grew up in the eighties. So I remember I had the like a virgin album, you know, and MTV, I mean, that it was Madonna. Everybody, everybody had it. And then in college, I was into the Smiths and the Pixie, you know, like I was that guy. And somebody offered me a free ticket, a free ride to the Blonde Ambition Tour. I was like, eh, no. You know, it's Madonna. I was like, it's too mopey, you know, uh, wearing all black and and listening to The Cure. Um, And then Truth or Dare came out, uh, the documentary, uh, kind of documenting a lot of the Blonde Ambition Tour. And I was like, oh, this, this is why people love her and... I watched, I don't know how many times I watched that documentary and I used to imagine what would it be like just to be in the same arena as Madonna. And, um, you know, as you grow up and then, you know, you're 20, you're like, you have no money, you know, I can't go anywhere. Um, and then finally in 2004, she had the reinvention tour and I was like, okay, this is no matter what I'm going to go see Madonna because, you know, at the time it's like, how long is she going to be able to do this? And obviously she's still trucking along. Um, so yeah, so I, uh, I remember went to Chicago row 13, seat 13. So I thought that was kind of meant to be. And, and I'm not sure if I <laughs> said this out loud or just in my mind, I feel like I said it out loud, but you know, they have the kind of pre thing and she kind of comes up, uh, from under the stage and I was like, Oh my God, she's real. Because I was like, this is, you know, I just when I couldn't believe it, you know? And then, um, I got, got back to the hotel that night, just, you know, like electrified, you know, you leave a good concert and I'm like, I'm going to go see her again. And so I booked a trip uh, to go see her in Atlanta. I think I had row four or something like that. So I was pretty close to the stage. And and I remember uh, she was uh, uh, on a stool singing uh, kind of one of her songs with the guitar. And it was one of the new songs, so nobody around me knew what <laughs> the words. She wasn't, wasn't one of her uh, 80s hits. And so I'm like singing along or whatever. And she saw me singing and she just nodded and smiled. And I was just like, that was that was it for me. You know, I was just like, so I, I fan for life. And then, uh, the next tour in a couple of years, um, I started, started getting tattoos for each tour that I went to. And so, uh, in between, I got the confessions tour. I went to opening night, got the tattoo. And then also in Chicago again. And, uh, before the show, uh, my seatmate, I think we had row six or something like that. Uh, he says, Oh, her dad and her stepmom just went backstage. And I was like, Oh, okay. We're going to wait till they come out. And, and so they came out and said, hi. And they're like, hey, you know, like, they're like, oh. <laughs> I'm sure they're used to <laughs> uh, the Madonna fans. But behind them was her uh, hairstylist and her makeup person. And they're like, oh, can we take pictures of your tattoos and your shirt? And so I made the confessions like a 70s disco. So it had world's best kids on the front. It was just Lourdes and Rocco and world's best mom in the back and with the 70s font and so forth. And like, yeah, the show starts and uh, hairstylist Andy comes back tapsing my own shoulder. He's like, she saw the picture. She wants that shirt. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, do you want me to go shirtless? He's like, I don't care. And I'm like, well, why don't you go <laughs> get me? A-? And so he went backstage and we exchanged shirts. And I said something like, can I meet her? He's like, no. And he like whisked away. And that was, I was like, and everybody's around me so excited. And I'm like, but I was like, okay, that was, that was my little interaction. Um, so 
couple of weeks later, uh, I was in Hartford, uh, had front row, I think both nights or one, at least one of the nights. And so I made the same shirt because I knew she'd see me. And uh, before the show, we're walking around and bumping to a couple of her dancers and we're taking pictures. And I was like, oh, you're the guy with the, the tattoos and the shirt she took. I'm like, yeah. I was like, she was talking about you at dinner last night. I'm like, what? Like, so head explode Madonna fans. So it got to the point at the end of that tour, I was having lunch with her dancers and hanging out after the show. So uh, when you talk about living in a movie, I really thought I was living in black and white truth or dare behind the scenes world because I was like, this is it. This is as, this is as good as it gets. So it's it began to perpetuate from there, but that kind of gives you an, a little bit of the Madonna story on how the love and the, the passion kind of came through all that. What is next for set Jetta? It, it feels like it's been expanding both in terms of the quality of the content, the quantity of the content, but also its place as um, a forum for dialogue between you and other fans. So what do you imagine that becoming, if if anything different than what it is now? I'm not sure. I, and I kind of know what should be next, but I don't think I'm going to go down that path. And, and this is the whole YouTubers uh, that – taking videos of locations and shooting yourself. And I was like, I just, I don't, I don't think that's me. And I, maybe I'm just kind of more at this is I'm doing the academic version of, of set jetting. Like here it is, here's the photos, here's the maps, here's what you need to go. Uh, and I tell some stories as uh, within it. And, but I've done a few videos for Blu-ray extras where um, the incredible shrinking woman or silent night, deadly night and uh, vice squad, um, so I've done some videos uh, for specifically for that that I've had to kind of produce and put out there. But um, I don't know if I want the hassle of a, of a YouTube channel and to be f- constantly promoting myself and, and and new new product all the time as like I'm not sure quite sure if that's my world. So so I'm not quite sure. And I do think you know at what point do I do I step away and let other you know younger people kind of do this? Uh, I also think you know is my retirement job. Now, live in LA and and give be a guide for hire where you tell me where you want you know tell me your favorite movies and I'll map out the day and take you around to all those spots so so those things I kind of imagine for myself but there are times where I'm like maybe I should just kind of let this go but then some spark or something that I see kind of gets me excited again. Is there a holy grail location for you that has not been captured? Uh, there, there, there's a handful that I either haven't have not gotten to that that I want to. Um, uh, one is the the carriage house uh, above the barn from the Bionic Woman that she used to to live. Nobody could find it for years and years and years. And then I had a friend that found it. He happened to be in a gated community, so I can't even get to it if I want. Um, and he's like, he showed me pictures. I'm like, where is this? And he's like, I promised not to tell, but he told me. Um, and so, so that's one I would just love to get to. Um, and some of the others that I think about um, are just no longer. You know, I think some of my favorite movies that nobody could find them and we end up finding them because they have been demolished. And now they they put a McMansion up is usually what happens uh, in their place. Um, so, so there's a handful that, that I've been to. Um, there's a little bit more. Uh, we didn't touch too much on Madonna, but I would go to her music videos. And like one of the holy grails that I found at the time was the Like a Prayer filming locations. Nobody could find, you know, that apartment where she lived at. And it be not being an apartment at all. It was like a World War One battery arsenal or something like strange, strange that they kind of made look like a, a, an apartment complex. So 
Um, so I'm sure there is, um, but sometimes I keep those to myself because like somebody else, I, I want to get there first. I love the competition. <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's still that competitive edge. And and there'll be times where like um, I might find something and, and like I book a special trip. I'm like, uh, just because I found it right now, somebody else is going to find it. So I, I need to get out there right away. In your search for places, you keep coming across, I don't know, human generosity and kindness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. If I... If I had more bad encounter, I would probably, you're right. I'd probably be like, this is not worth the, the headache or the negativity, but you're right. I do have enough, you know, super positive either encounters with the homeowners or encounters with other people that it kind of gets me re-excited again. And especially some of these places where I'm like, oh, we're doing this. And sometimes you meet a, a C-list celebrity that actually, you know, just blows your mind or like, you know, like, oh, I th- guess I'll meet her and then there's like, oh, I'm, I look back and I'm like, I'm so glad I met so-and-so because uh, they just kind of made my day. And and she's not C-list, but like Sally Struthers from um, All in the Family. I was like, oh, I, that's all I really know her from. Just had the best conversation with her. And I was kind of like, oh, I guess I'll meet her. She's here. But you never know. You got to take that chance. guest today has been avid movie location spotter robert patterson robert thank you so much for sharing this really surprising and unexpected passion that you have thank you thank you for being here and love sharing lives is hosted and produced by me Stuart chittenden and brought to you by kios omaha public radio The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.